One, two, one, two. Good morning. Yeah, and the rest of you, good morning too. Thank you for the warm welcome. It's great to be here. I trust that you're all good. Fabulous. We do send heaps of love from just up the hill. Uh, Freedom House, uh, we, we stuck our car into neutral and rolled down the hill. Because you know, north's up and south is down, apparently. Apparently. And yeah, we do send heaps of love. And uh, we just want to take a moment to, to pray for Liverpool. <laughs> the problem is whenever I do that, I, I, we end up either drawing or losing, you know, so no praying for Liverpool. You know. Anyway, just I'm so glad to be in good company this morning. Liverpool supporters all darted throughout the, on my left here. Uh, yeah, anyway. It's a real treat. Can you believe it? It was about three years ago that we were like this together. Uh, Many of you would not even remember it. I do distinctly. It was a wonderfully powerful time. I can even remember what I got to share about. Uh, Did a a whole unpacked series of what it means to live in authority. Anyway, that was three years ago. A lot has transpired since then. Wouldn't you agree? A lot. And here we are. Here we are, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a worship leader's joke. Um, you know, I was trying to fall asleep last night, and I just felt God's just thinking about you. Obviously, this whole week and some change, just allowing God to speak to my heart about Emmanuel. And I felt his incredible, sure, his incredible delight over Emmanuel. It's incredible pride in every right sense of the word. Do you know that Father God is so passionately excited about you this morning? Do you know that? He is so proud of Emmanuel. You know, I get to hang out with Greg a bit. In soon, Greg and the team around you, you have men and women of remarkable humility and love for Jesus. A people who are not giving themselves for their own pride and their own platform, but for the glory of God and the good of Emmanuel and the good of the church throughout this nation of ours and beyond. That's a remarkable thing. 22 years of leading the team here. Isn't that true? 22 years. That's a long time. That's half of my life. I'm, I'm 44, you know, and still on the dance floor. And gee, that's a long time. Do you know how many church leaders just tap out and want to do their own thing? I've been in this gig for a bit, and you just see see people doing their own thing for their own reasons and their own rhymes and their own rhythms and their own platforms. I I just wanted to honor my friends here. Wow, absolute inspiration to Melissa and I. So appreciate your words for us, but my goodness, to serve shoulder to shoulder with you guys, Freedom House of Emmanuel, is such an immense privilege. But I just wanted to tell you how proud the Father is over you. You are certainly the excellent ones in the land. And I was worshiping just to the side here, and I thought, I'm with family, and we all, we're all in pursuit of one thing. Sure. 
We are all in pursuit of one thing, and that one thing is one person, and his name is Jesus. That second song, I don't know who wrote it. Um, uh, From time to time, I still lead worship, and I I don't even know what's out there at the minute uh, around worship, but that second song, I don't know who wrote it. I love it. Can we bring those words up, if you wouldn't mind? Uh, Is that okay? Can Can we do that? Uh, the second song and there's a reason thank you come and let your presence fill our praise fill our praise come and let your presence fill this place great verse can you go to the chorus that's the second part of the verse the chorus the next yeah look at look at that look at that first line Look at that first line. For you are the one. I got to, I don't know the song. I got to that line and I just began to weep. For you are the one we want to meet. Jesus. Everything else is irrelevant in the song. For you, hello, at the top. For you are the one we want to meet. Throughout the earth, with everything that's taking place and has taken place, and all the turmoil and turbulence and tumult, and, 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 dot, dot, dot. God is not deconstructing. You know, the enemy comes to deconstruct and break down. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, He comes to reconstruct and reform us around the very essence of who we are, why we are, (laughs) why you and I are still breathing today. And He is reconstructing the church around the beauty of Jesus. He is so beautiful. He is so worthy of all things. <laughs> he alone deserves your and my passion. And I love Liverpool. <laughs> but I'm not going to sing, We'll Never Walk Alone in Heaven. That's, by the way, that's why I am a Liverpudlian uh, from the 80s because it's the most Holy Spirit-like club on the planet. We'll never walk alone. But we're not going to be singing those songs. We're just going to be worshiping Jesus. He alone is worthy of our passion. You know, um, before I, I'm going to I'm quite intrigued by this morning's prophetic words. There has been an invitation this morning. Just wait until you hear what I get to speak about. Um, in this time of tumult and turbulence, many things have been laid down or are in the process of being laid down or in the process of being found to be falling short or just not enough things like inheritance people are losing a lot of things people have lost jobs 
People have lost loved ones. I, I have lost friends. I'm sure you have. But in this moment of a question mark around inheritance, an inheritance is a physical, substantial, tactile gift that you give from one generation to the next. Isn't that true? Uh, who here longs to give their, their subsequent generations, their children and their children's children an inheritance? I do. Right now I'm going, well, how are we going to do that, Jesus? Anyone else asking that question? I've just noticed that the petrol price is staying the same, but the diesel price is going through the roof. You know, there's a lot of pressure on at the moment. But this is what the Lord has been showing me, that in the midst of a question mark around an inheritance, there is a moment to give the subsequent generations a legacy. Legacy is not a material gift. A legacy is an ethos, is a way of living, is a value system that we can give to our subsequent generations Melissa and I were talking, God, God wants us to have a home of our own. We've owned homes of our own. We have sold homes of our own. And living up the North Coast, we are asking that question, can we ever own a home of our own again? It's a little bit steep up north, up on the hill there, you know. But we have realized this. We might not be able to right now give our kids an inheritance, but we can give them a legacy. Do you know what's happening across the planet right now? People are realizing that they've been living for an inheritance and not for a legacy. Have you noticed that? I have been giving all my time and energy and pursuits and passion for material goods, but my kids have not seen me worship. My kids have not seen me on my knees. My kids have not seen me endure. My kids have not seen me dot, dot, dot. What are they getting? I've been giving my life for an inheritance and I've been squandering an opportunity to hand them a legacy. The crazy thing is this, Emmanuel Church, is that we can give our lives, all the decades of our lives, for an inheritance and never hand over a legacy that outlasts rands and cents and buildings and properties. But the amazing thing is this, is Melissa and I were talking on our veranda of our previous home because we've just moved again seven times in 11 years. God bless us. This is what we realized. But if we set our hearts towards handing over a legacy, that means Melissa and I live for a legacy. We lay down our lives for a legacy. Guess what? Not only will our kids and our kids' kids get something that outlasts brick and mortar, <laughs> but they will get an inheritance. I want to ask you this morning before we jump into some stuff, what are you living for? Are you living for an inheritance, to hand an inheritance from one generation to the next? Be careful. A good parents given an inheritance, but never at the expense of a legacy. Yeah. And what does it mean to live for a legacy? If we are to live for a legacy, who is it that we live for? But I never, ever, ever want to sacrifice legacy on the altar of pursuing an inheritance. I want to live the other way around. Yeah, that's good. 
I'm only 44 and still on the dance floor. I'm going to stay on this dance floor around another 50 years. I've got a long life to live. But it feels like I am so uh, being squared up at the minute. An opening batsman facing Alan Donald. And with all my preparation, I'm being squared up by this context. And the legacy is found in Jesus for you. <laughs> oh, the one I'm living for. Jesus shines through. So at Freedom House, we've been preaching through Hebrews for a year. It's been incredible. I think it's the most profound book. Every book that we read in the scriptures is the most profound book we find ourselves in. Is it, are you in Hebrews at the minute? I love Hebrews. I, I find it quite intriguing because Hebrews is written by we don't know who. We think we know who, but it's not Paul. We, it could be a team of authors, but it's absolutely profound. It's the pinnacle of New Testament theology. Outstrips Romans, outstrips Galatians. It is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. COVID's also made me wear glasses, by the way. <laughs> absolutely remarkable. And it's written to a bunch of people under pressure, going through horrific crisis and consternation. Uh, you know, when, when we hear the story of the fact that the world is going through something unprecedented, I want you to know we need to take an honest review of human history. Uh, we, we so live in the moment and we live with this romantic, self-absorbed notion that it's never happened before. <laughs> Global pandemics have happened before. It's unprecedented in, in its reach, possibly, because we travel on airplanes and whatnot and it gets further, but it's... It's happened before. And so we look back to the recipients in the context of, of uh, Hebrews. They were losing homes and lives. They were losing families and loved ones, not to a disease, but to persecution. Because they had set it in their hearts to follow the one. And the temptation when they're in pressure is to abandon not just the faith, but to abandon Jesus himself. And then in the genius of the spirit, whoever wrote Hebrews writes the antidote, the, the, the prescription from the doctor to the recipients. And it's, and it's not a clever, clever pastoral one-liner. There, there, you're going to get through. Come on. The answer to crisis, the answer to pressure, the answer to getting through it all is nothing other than Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hebrews is from beginning to end, chapter 1 to chapter 13. Jesus in chapter 1, Jesus in chapter 2, fast forward, chapter 12, Jesus, 13, Jesus. I find that remarkable. It's not pull up your socks and come on. No, the, the encouragement the injunctions, the let us, the enthusing that happens in that moment is in Jesus. The worth of Jesus in his pre-existent, pre-incarnate state. The majesty of Jesus far above and beyond all other leaders. Moses and the angels far above the law. Jesus. 
Why? Because he is the one, secondly, who does it all perfectly, never to be done again. You don't have to go back to another bull or another goat, depending on your, you know, your manner of sacrifice. All right? No. Jesus, once and for all, his worth and his work utterly. And then at the end, we see this, this beckoning to follow the way of the king. The worth, the work, and the way of Christ who is king. It reminds me of a bloke, Job. Who's read Job lately? I don't really like Job, but it's absolutely breathtaking. It is written in a context telling a polemic story of what it means to be under pressure in the most profound way and how all these people come alongside us and give us cool advice. You've got the dripping tap, a.k.a. the wife, okay? <laughs> Who says, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You know, it can be, can be. We can be a pain in the arm, you know? There's men, aimless, yes. Not me, not me. No, certainly not Greg. Certainly not Dan. Not, no, no, never us, of course. You've got the wife saying, curse God and die. Yay. And then you've got this company of mates, you know, like those pub crawling mates that are, they have a few beers and they give you the best advice on the planet. No, leave your wife, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> terrible, terrible advice. Going through crisis and you've got give up on God, give up on your wife, give up on all things. You're a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me, you know? And then, at the end of all things, this young man who's stood back, because in Hebrew, that culture, you let the older ones speak. And this young man plucks up the courage and he says, enough's enough. Enough's enough. I cannot stand this anymore. And he says, Job, listen to me. I'm younger than you. I'm not as experienced as you. I haven't been through what you've been through, but I cannot handle this anymore. This is a simple praise of it. And he says this, stop and consider the wonder of Yahweh. Stop this. Stop the opinions. Stop the wrangling. Stop the inward looking. Stop the lateral looking. Stop and look up and consider Weigh up the majesty of Yahweh. And it is in that moment that he, Yahweh, begins to speak. And he doesn't do anything other than ask Job questions. And Job begins to remember as he reconsiders the beauty of God. And the answer is not found in why or how or when or what or thus Dis darum de halva, if you remember Afrikaans. No, the answer is found in him. Every time. I want to mention one more thing because I love the chorus of that song. Here they are. Jesus has just been rocking the planet for three and a half years. He's just been crucified. He's just been resurrected. And then he says to them, go and get back into Jerusalem. I'm about to release upon you. The Father is about to release upon you his gift. Friends, you've got to know that that didn't 
you know, their hut and track into Jerusalem from the mountain with a sense of glee and delight. They were under pressure. The Romans were after them. The religious rulers were after them. Their Lord had just ascended and an angel of the Lord told them to go into Jerusalem, gave them a command, as it were. They had nowhere to look. They couldn't look to the left or to the right and they couldn't look inward anymore. There was only one alternative and that was upward. I'm painting multiple pictures for you to to say this. I wonder, I just wonder, if right now globally we are not in the best place we could ever be because we're not looking to governments, honestly. COVID has shown us one thing. Our hope is not in governments. Our hope is not in the economies of the world. Our hope isn't even in the scientists of this world. And truly, 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 as I found out leading in COVID, I have no answers in and of myself. There is only one way to look, and that is for you, or the one that we want. Jesus shines through. I'm saying all of this in a very roundabout introduction or introductory way to say that God has extended an invitation to you this morning. Yeah. I heard the word come said a few times, but I believe it's actually a word over the church as it was a long time ago. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, Jesus is launched into his planet shaking ministry, affecting humanity past, present, and future in his ministry. And his first statement to a ragtag crew is, come, follow me, and I will make you fishes of humanity, or I will send you out to be disciples of nations. There's three things I want you to see. Come, I will make you, and thirdly, I will send, uh, sorry, come, follow me, I will make you, that's right, and I will send you. Three things. The bookends are Christ and the commission. And in the middle, the center of it all is you and me. In the last two years, as we uh, know, a whole reconstruction is taking place. We are coming out of COVID. It is an incredibly important time. We have decisions to make. What are we going to put our hands to? Will we do business the way that we did before? Will we do life and relationships the way we did before? Everyone's saying we cannot get back to you know, the way we did things. We can't go back to normal, all right? I don't know if what was before was normal anyway, but I want to say I agree with that in many respects. There are big decisions. How do we want to do family? Are we going to live for inheritance? Are we going to live for legacy? How are we going to do church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? There is a reconstruction of our deepest humanity, both individually and collectively, taking place right now. This is the warning and the invitation. If we pursue our personal and collective reconstruction outside of Christ and his commission, 
we will fall prey to a secular Christianity where we reduce all things about ourselves, all things to our needs and our desires, our health requirements, our family needs, where we reduce it to me, what I need and what I need to give to our families. And in so doing, we go down the way of inheritance instead of legacy. But when Jesus said, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of all men and women. That command came in the most crisis moment in Israel you can imagine. Over 400 years of prophetic silence. They had not heard the voice of the Lord for 400 plus years. Imagine the measure of disillusionment. Up until that moment, there had been a growing expectation of who Messiah was and would be breaking in to Israel to restore all things to Israel. They were excited. They were passionate. They knew God was up to something, and then suddenly 400 silent years. How would you feel? Discouraged? Disillusioned? Disappointed? 100%, baby. 100%. Not only was it spiritually, apparently, to the human eye, dry, but politically, geopolitically, it was an upheaval. They had gone through crisis and revolution. They'd been taken over by all sorts of rulers, and now they were under the thraldom of Rome, Pax Romana. Do you know what Pax Romana looks like? Hey, if you do not stop and listen to me, I will kill you. That's how we bring peace. If you don't listen to me, I will lay you out. Roman peace, Pax Romana, Rome ruling in the land. There was upheaval. There was discouragement spiritually. There was political upheaval. There was unrest brewing. It was crazy. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. Sounds like this right now. And then Jesus, the expectation of Messiah had moved from what they had seen before. Suddenly, they wanted a particular type of Messiah that came on a horse, not a pony, certainly not a donkey, all right? is definitely not an ass, all right? They wanted a, a political leader. And here he comes, a carpenter looking like one of them. Imagine the confusion, and Jesus says, come. That is a, an instruction of obedience. It comes in an act of grace. Hear this, because all of God's invitations are wrapped up in grace, grace, grace. Jesus steps in full of grace and truth, full of truth and grace, and never can you separate them. He steps in the invitation of God. I have come to do what you cannot do. But in the midst of grace, there is an invitation. Paul calls it the obedience that comes by faith. Romans this wonderful treatise of grace, 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 the divine work of God is parenthesis bracketed by two statements, Romans 1, Romans 16, the obedience that comes by 
faith. The obedience that comes by faith, all wrapped up in grace. What that says to me is that God's gracious invitation evokes something inside of us that enables us to respond in obedience. We often reduce faith. God, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this. If you're going to save the world, you're going to save the world. If you're going to you know, move in power, you're going to move in power. And I don't need to do anything. No, that's not faith. That's la-la land. All of the kingdom of God is by grace through faith. Go into Jerusalem. It's all about faith. It's all about positioning yourself in an upper room. But in this instance, come follow me, the supreme positioning that God is calling us to as we are uh, reconstructed in this time as families, in our relationships, as churches and businesses is in the slipstream of Jesus. Our reconstruction is in the slipstream of Jesus. Let me say that simply again. Our reconstruction is in the slipstream of Jesus. When we were created in the beginning of all things, God made the bios of, of, of Adam, the, the form and the shape. And then he got onto his knees. Yahweh, imagine that, the kiss of life, got onto his knees and he breathed into the lungs of Adam and Adam instantly came alive. Instantly came alive. A nefesh, a living being. And his eyes opened. And whom did he see first? Ah! The incarnation of God. And in that moment, he realized in those eyes, my essence, my design, my destiny, my makeup, my all and all in him. That was our original design. And then in Christ, we recreated. Our original design restored in Christ. But the problem is this, what the last two years have showed up is that we have not been living in the slipstream of Christ. We've been living in the slipstream of reputation and brand building and pleasure seeking and holiday making and living for the weekend and living for the next holiday and casual Sunday church attending Christianity. Oh, that's been shown up for what it is. Let me go to church on Sunday, tick the religious box, and on Monday live the life I want to live and be the me I've always wanted to be. Even if it's at everyone else's expense, I will do deals the way that I want to do deals because on Sunday I'm a Christian, but on Monday I'm a heathen. I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole, but that's exactly what's been going down. It's been shown up. And there's an invitation now. Come. An invitation. Come. To what? Or to whom? To Christ. And right now, as you are processing and thinking, how am I going to do the next two years as we're coming out of COVID or the next five years or newly married? So how am I going to do it? What do I want Is it the slipstream of comfort and convenience and casual Christianity and career? Will I be a career pastor? 
Will I preach the gospel right now? Or will I live for the crowds? I'm telling you, the church, you need to be praying for your church leaders because the temptation right now, the pressure's on. Are people gonna be coming back to church? What kind of message should I be preaching? A therapeutic self-help gospel or a gospel of fierce boldness? I'm surprised people come back to Freedom House in the last year. I'm serious. Last weekend, same, same, I'm going, are people even going to come back? Because we are not meant to play for the crowd. Jesus never preached for the crowd. He preached for the disciples. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they just start rattling and rolling and leaving. Or do you want to leave as well? He says to his closest. Jesus never capitulated his message for the sake of building a crowd. He always preached because he was looking for Christ followers, disciples, those that would get into his slipstream and be disciplined learners and be covered in the dust of their rabbi. There's a temptation right now. But will we, as church leaders, for example, as leaders in business, how will we respond in this moment? Will we let our reconstruction be determined first by Christ or convenience. Matthew 14, 29. Jesus just fed the 5,000. He sends them out across the other side of the, the lake. Eh? And what happens on that lake? Rumble, rumble, rumble. Roll, roll, roll. They're terrified. There Jesus casually walks upon the raging waters as he does so easily. They all get a fright. Isn't it remarkable? When God starts moving, we immediately think it's the devil. It's a spook, you know, and he says, no, it's not a ghost, it is I. And Peter says something. You must understand, they fishermen, they understand the, how to handle themselves in a situation like, they've been fishing their whole lives. They're not stupid. They're not ignorant and naive. They've been in situations like this before. Interestingly enough, Peter says, Jesus if you want me to be with you, tell me what to do. And Jesus says, come. What is he doing? Jesus is calling Peter for what God has for them, for what Christ has for them. It has to be beyond their ability, beyond their experience, beyond their expertise. And it's not found in the place or the places that they have been comfortable in before and they've seen it through before. He says, come, get into the wild waters. It's safer with Jesus on the wild waters than the comforts of how it's been done in the past. But guess what? It's not come follow an ideology. It's not come follow a system. It's come follow Jesus. The slipstream is in the slipstream of a person, Jesus. There is a growing longing within the church and in the world, make no mistake, for Christ. What time do I finish now? Now, I need to finish now. Now. Come follow Christ. I've been ministering only 23 years. I've been saved 28. 
the growing hunger in my heart, not for a cool flipping meeting. Who wants a cool meeting in a cool church? I don't. I want God. I want to walk with Him. I want to know Him. I want to think like Him. I want to groove with Him. I want Jesus. And I want to be a bunch of, amongst a bunch of people who want Jesus. Not a cool church service. Boo to cool church services. Boo to good meetings. Yes to Jesus. I got saved when I was 17. I got so radically born again. I was a heathen. I, did, I was an A grade student. Provincial sports person. I didn't need Jesus. I liked what I was getting up to. I did. It's nice. It wrecked me though. I had to deal with the stuff afterwards. But I wasn't looking for him. I encountered Jesus. I got into the slipstream of Jesus. Whose slipstream are you in? A cool church meeting? Getting through COVID? Guys, I'm telling you, Worse is yet to come. I'm not being a prophet of doom. Christ himself said, at the end of things, it's going to get a bit hectic. But the light will become brighter as the birth pains increase as he is coming. It's not because the devil's coming. It's because he's coming. And all the works of the enemy are shuddering and shaking under the impinging, pressing in glory of God. And if the world is quaking through a pandemic like this, what happens in South Africa if they shut us down as believers? What are we going to do? Oh, blame God. Blame the pastor, of course. Because you can't blame God, so let's just shoot the pastor. You know? Come on. Who are we following? The church exploded in crisis. Why? Because they position themselves under Christ by the power of the Spirit. 200 years later, there were 20 million Christians. They had no official church buildings. They had no official leadership as we know it. They did not have the Bible as we know it. They were illegal. They were stuck on poles. They didn't put cool things on the highway down south going, hey, it's Chris, I mean, it's, it's Easter time and try to evangelize next to the highway, come to Jesus. Live for him because he died for you. Have you seen that? No, they stuck them on poles and then set them on fire. And yet the church was unstoppable. She exploded to the extent that the ruler of the day, whether he came to faith or not, it's questionable, said, we've got to hand this whole thing over to the Christians. Constantine, because the church was unstoppable. Why? Because they got into the slipstream of Jesus in crisis. They made him, you are the one we're living for. Amen. Jesus shines through. Yes. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm alive. That's why we're here now. Let's finish there. We'll continue later. God bless you. In the name of Jesus, amen.